second will bring with nowhere to go you know we have no shelter to go we actually don't know wh where is safer to be when the airstrikes are hitting we don't know if we if going to the street is safer or being in the building is safer being in the fifth floor is safer or being in the first floor safer so that the rest of the you know floors might collapse over your head these are the kind of debates and things we we, we talk about every day i'm umbreen khan and this is inspired we begin this week's episode hearing from Ahmed, a Palestinian who arrived in Gaza to visit his family in the last week of Ramadan just a few weeks ago. It was the day before Israeli police fired stun grenades and rubber-coated metal bullets at unarmed protesters who had gathered outside the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They were decrying the forced removal of fellow Palestinians from their homes in East Jerusalem. According to the reports from emergency responders, 163 Palestinians were hurt, more than 80 seriously injured. According to the Israeli police, six officers were injured by the protesters, hurling stones and bottles. Within 24 hours, the Israeli Defense Force began airstrikes. know we have not been able to sleep almost barely barely at all for the past six seven days because there have been ongoing airstrikes within five to ten minutes you know ongoing for the past six days there has not been 10 minutes without airstrikes the indiscriminate bombings continued for 11 days until a ceasefire was negotiated by egypt according to the office of the high commissioner of the united nations the asymmetrical use of force by the israeli defense claimed the lives of 222 people in Gaza, including 63 Palestinian children. And during that time, Hamas claimed seven rockets reached Israel, reportedly killing 12 people. In addition to the lives lost, neighborhoods were destroyed, leaving tens of thousands homeless. My wife is from Gaza. Her sister lost her home in Al Jala's building, where Al Jazeera was and Associated Press was. Her brother lost his apartment at Hanadi's Tower. Now they, they have no home. Her family lived in the city of Gaza. She hasn't actually been able to go and see them. The roads have been destroyed between Gaza and Khanyunis. It's also extremely unsafe to just be on the road even for five minutes. We lost a building right behind us, um, a bank. And right next to that bank, there was a civilian building of 65 people. We lost few neighbors. Gaza is infrastructure is completely gone. You know, there is no health inf infrastructure, electricity, water. Electricity is only about two hours a day. There is hardly any drinking water. According to the United Nations and independent observers, more than 450 buildings in Gaza were completely destroyed or damaged by Israeli missiles. That included six hospitals nine healthcare clinics, and a water desalination plant that supplied 250,000 Palestinians with clean drinking water. Living under violent occupation has taken a toll on Ahmed's family. People are unaware of the mental health issues. Some of my relatives have developed clinical mental health issues, traumas in kids, and 
you know, speech issues and just, just overall like different kinds of disabilities and impairments due to what has been happening. For more than a decade, Ahmed studied and worked in the United States. Now he's trying to be strong for his family. I'm happy to be here with them, you know, and, and be a source of their support since I didn't get beat down as they did for the past 12 years. For Palestinians living in the occupied territories, there is an acute sense of vulnerability as they have few legal protections and remain stateless. Yes, I'm a green card holder, you know, but I do hold a Palestinian travel document. I consider myself a Palestinian and I consider myself, you know, on my way to be an American. I look forward to that. However, I am still stateless, you know, because Palestine is not a state and I'm still not a U.S. citizen. You can imagine the kind of challenges that that, ha- that, has, that has created for me. You know, there is that, like you literally have no support and you have to be the exception to the rule in everything that you do. And if you're not exceptional enough, you're just never going to make it. Ahmed sees parallels to the experiences of African-Americans confronting systemic racism and the dangers of ethno-nationalism. He rejects framing the struggle for Palestinian freedom and self-determination as a religious conflict. There is no religious issue from my end, you know. It's just an issue when you have one group of people that wants to exclude others uh, at, at any expense. This is when kind of issues arise. I went to a Christian high school, you know, as a Muslim, and I have, I have a lot of Christian friends. You know, I love, you know, Jewish people. I love Christian people. I love atheist people, you know, I, and, and that makes me Muslim, you know, that makes me who I am. You know, I believe in Judaism. I believe in Christianity, and I, and I believe in Islam, and I believe they all funnel into my belief system and spirituality you know, in in different ways. Jewish people have lived, and Christians and Muslims, in harmony for many, many years. I'm more than happy to host, you know, five Jewish families in my home in Gaza, you know, and and Christian families and atheists in my own home. They can eat what I eat. They can sleep the same way I sleep. You know, they can be protected the same way I protect my family, you know. Uh, And and, and it makes me Palestinian, you know. It makes makes me who I am. There's nothing but love in my heart, you know, for... uh, for everyone, really. And I hope we can stop being bullied, you know, and we can be given the chance to build and heal and and shine our light to the world and do it while we are living with our families and our own homes. I hope to survive with my family. And I hope, you know, for us to live in justice and dignity. And uh, when you have those, you can make solid plans long term. Ahmed has asked that we not use his real name. And for security reasons, we are honoring his request. In this week's show notes, you'll find links to the news reports referenced and the statements from the United Nations and human rights organizations. When we come back, we hear from the leader of an ecumenical coalition that is advocating for a holistic peace in the region and for the United States to be an honest broker. Stay with us. friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska. 
and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. Thank you. 